Welcome to Harmony Christian Church Podcast. For more information about us, visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org. All right. Last week I talked about humility. Um, I wasn't sure where I was going to go from humility, but uh, the Lord began taking me from that idea of humility into into, uh, Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. And he began speaking to me through that. So I want to I want to speak to you today, um, and I, I'm not sure, I assume this is, uh, is going to lead into a series, but I want to talk to you today about the Sermon on the Mount, and really, I'm going to be laying a lot of groundwork today. Today is going to be a lot of teaching um, from the Sermon on the Mount and kind of what that is, um, but I'm, we're going to go into this, this Sermon on the Mount. So let me give you some context of what's, what's going on in Matthew chapter 5. In the previous chapter, we read where Jesus has just gone through the temptation in the wilderness. So Matthew chapter 4 begins with that that story of how Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted. And of course, he passed the temptation with flying colors, right? So he goes from there, uh, from from the temptation, uh, and then he begins his ministry on the earth. And he's called by this point in time, before we get to Matthew chapter five, he's called his disciples, it says. And so his disciples have left all, they've dropped their nets and they're following Jesus. And it says that he has, by this point, healed multitudes of people and that his fame had begun to spread all over the world. So he was already becoming famous at this point in time. People, people knew who he was. People had witnessed the miracles that had been taking place, that had been following Jesus in his ministry. Then we get to Matthew chapter 5, and it says that, that Jesus was walking with his disciples. And it says that he saw the multitude of people. Now, the Jewish tradition says that a multitude in that day was about 10,000 people. But it says multitudes, right? It's plural. So who knows how many thousands of people at this point in time were following Jesus, were wanting to hear from Jesus. So he looks up, he sees the multitudes of people. So what does he do? He goes up onto a mountain, it says. He goes up onto a mountain and his disciples gather around him. And Jesus begins looking out across the multitudes of people and looking around to see who his audience was. And he sees first the multitudes and he, he, he sees the multitudes. And with, within that group of people, you have people with all different kinds of expectations. You have people with all different kinds of motives, all different kinds of, uh, um, they're, they're trying to figure out who Jesus is, right? Some people are wondering, is this the Messiah? Some people maybe had heard about the miracles that Jesus has already performed. And so maybe they're there to see if that they can have Jesus come to their mom who is sick or their dad or their child to see if he would come and to heal them. Maybe, you know, some people are looking for that uh, from Jesus. You have others there who uh, who are maybe curious and wondering if this is maybe a false prophet. Maybe uh, they're questioning Jesus's motives and they didn't come out necessarily to hear him, but they've come out to test his motives and to hear for themselves the teaching of this man who has become famous for miracles. So you see all of this, all of these multitudes of people, all with different motives, all with different ideas, all with different reasons for being there. Then you look a little closer and he's surrounded by his disciples, men who were imperfect, but dropped their nets 
to follow him. He's surrounded by men who gave up their professions, who gave up their homes to travel around in a tent with this man named Jesus that they had just met. They gave up time with their families to travel with Jesus. These men who who knew the cost of following Jesus, but followed him anyways. Men who knew that more than likely with a man that stirs up as much trouble as Jesus does, that there was going to be persecution in their future. But they looked at Jesus and they said, he's, he's worth it. So this was the crowd Jesus was standing on the mountaintop looking at. The multitudes with all different kinds of opinions and the ones who have given up everything to follow him. And then it says, Jesus sat down and everybody there knew what that meant. Because in, in, in Jewish tradition, when the rabbi sits, it's time to listen. So Jesus, it says, sits down and all of a sudden this electric hush falls over these thousands of people. It goes from this roar of a crowd to silence when Jesus sits. And then the Bible says in Matthew chapter five, that Jesus opened his mouth and began to speak. And this is what he says. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the hunger, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when, you, when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for the great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then Jesus goes on from there. For three more chapters or, or two more chapters, Matthew chapter five, six, and seven to preach the most famous and probably the most important message ever preached on the face of a pl the planet, the Sermon on the Mount. The question then becomes, what is the importance of the Sermon on the Mount? What are the importance of the Beatitudes? So again, I'm going to lay a lot of groundwork for you today as we talk about this. So what is the Sermon on the Mount? What are the Beatitudes? The Beatitudes, they're nine blessed statements that are known as the Beatitudes. The word Beatitude comes up from the word Beatitudo. It's a Latin word. And guess what it means? Blessedness. Blessedness. The nine blessed statements, they are the inauguration or the introduction, again, for one of the most influential messages ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is said to be the New Testament Sinai. 
It's said to be the New Testament Mount Sinai. It's really easy to see the parallels between Jesus's Sermon on the Mount and Moses standing on Mount Sinai giving the Mosaic Law to the Israelites. It's really easy to see the parallels there that, that Moses gave the law. He gave the standard for living as an Israelite, as a child of God, as, as a chosen one of God. And now Jesus is standing on a mountain. It doesn't tell us which mountain, but now he's standing on a mountain and he's proclaiming a better way to live under the new covenant. That this is what it means to be Christian. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And he goes on and, and it's this, this, it's immediately, immediately you see that now that you had Moses, but now there's a better than Moses that stands before you in Jesus. It's the announcement that someone better than Moses has come and his name is Jesus. And now there's something better than the law and it's the law of grace. It's the law of grace being a Christian, that this is what it looks like to be a Christian. The Sermon on the Mount was one of many great announcements that the one greater than Moses was here. Amen. Some people call the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes, they call it the new constitution of what it means to be a Christian. It's the declaration of what it means to be Christian. The question then is, what does the Beatitudes, what does the Sermon of the Mount do in us? The first thing I would say is this, that it shows us what it looks like to be Christian and to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. It shows us what it looks like to be Christian and to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. It's important to understand that the Beatitudes are not entrance requirements into the kingdom, right? But rather, they are declarations about the insiders. Jesus is the doorway into the kingdom. There is nothing that you can do in your, of yourself other than accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior to come into the kingdom. So the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount is not how you come into the kingdom. The Sermon of the Mount is what the kingdom then does and produces inside of you when you accept Christ. It shows you what it looks like to be Christian. The Beatitudes are not meant to be taken individually. Right? They're not like trophies that Jesus is handing out. It's not like saying, like, you're in mourning, so you get comforted. But you, you're, uh, you're uh, poor in spirit, so you get the kingdom. So they're not individual goals, right? It's not like handing out an MVP trophy and then handing out a mental attitude trophy, right? For me growing up, I, I always got the mental attitude trophy, which is good. But I always kind of took that as, like, you weren't the best on the team, but at least you had a good attitude about it. You know, <laughs> like, so, so I, I got those trophies, but I always kind of wanted the MVP, but you know, whatever, maybe, maybe someday, maybe for church softball, Justin, do you think you can make that happen? MVP. Yeah, strike out too much. Ouch. Okay. Slow pitch softball, by the way. Yeah. No, but the, the Beatitudes, they're not, they're not trophies that are handing out. They're meant to be taken as a whole. Jesus is saying, this is what it looks like to be Christian. All of these things, all of these things is what it looks like to be Christian. It's a, it's a package deal that blessed are the poor in spirit. Again, and the, probably in the coming weeks, we're going to go through these a little bit deeper. But today, we're just making general statements. It's, it's to be taken all together as one. 
Um, the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount is meant to show us what it looks like to be Christian. It's easy to become a Christian. It's much more difficult to actually be Christian. You know, there are many commentaries that you can read on the Sermon on the Mount that will actually tell you that Jesus never actually meant for us to follow the Sermon on the Mount. That he was telling us what the standard was, but we don't achieve that standard on our own. We achieve that through grace. Even Martin Luther, the great reformer, we're in October. We're coming up on the anniversary of the Reformation. I don't know how many years anniversary, but we're coming up on the anniversary on October 31st. Martin Luther even made that comment in his, in his commentary. He said, we were never meant to actually obtain the standard set before us on the Sermon on the Mount. We're supposed to receive it through Jesus, through grace. One problem with that, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, I don't have the scripture up there. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will make I will liken him to a wise man who builds his house on a rock. And then it skips down. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. The Sermon on the Mount offers an extremely high standard. The Mosaic law said if you murder, if you, it says thou shall not murder, right? The Ten Commandments, thou shall not murder. The, the, the Sermon on the Mount says things like this. If you even look at your brother and have hate in your heart towards him, you have committed murder in your heart. The Sermon on the Mount is scandalous. It's difficult. It's hard to hear. And Jesus absolutely expects us to conform our lives to it. Becoming a Christian is easy. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, if you've never accepted Jesus, I would love to lead you into salvation today. I would love to introduce you to Jesus. Becoming a Christian is easy. Being Christian is difficult. Being Christian is difficult. Of course, we all know the word Christian is actually to, be, to mean Christ-like, right? To be Christ-like is hard. And if you think it's hard for us, Imagine those who are listening in the crowd to this sermon, hearing these words. The ones who are oppressed by the Roman government. The government who is literally taxing them into poverty. Who is literally taking food out of their children's mouths. The government who is literally putting crosses on their back. Daily. And Jesus looks at them and he says... Love your enemies and bless those who persecute you. You know, you know, crosses, speaking of that, the cross of Jesus was not an isolated incident. Crosses were very common in those days. They would literally, they would literally uh, plant crosses at the entrance of cities. So when you walked into the city, it was a statement that says, if you get out of line, this is your destiny. I don't remember the numbers, but there, were, there was a time where, uh, I forget which ruler it was, I don't remember the details, but literally the entire road between, a, between two cities was cross after cross after cross of an uprising. It was all the rebels. They laid them up on the cross. Crosses were very familiar. When, when Jesus told them, when Jesus told the people to take up their cross and follow them, they didn't hear that as a metaphor like we do. 
And now Jesus is coming and saying, bless those who persecute you. Pray for those who do evil against you. The Sermon on the Mount is scandalous. It's difficult. But we are expected to conform to it. So what does the Sermon on the Mount do? It shows us what it looks like to be Christian. The other thing the Sermon on the Mount does is the Sermon on the Mount kills our egos. It obliterates our ego. You quickly realize with the first sentence Jesus speaks, blessed are the poor in spirit, that arrogance has no place in the kingdom. And by ego... I don't necessarily just mean thinking high, too highly of yourself, right? When we think of ego, we think of somebody who has their chest puffed out and they're proud and they're arrogant. But having an ego can be exactly the opposite as well. It can be wallowing around in self-pity. In fact, sometimes that's more annoying than the guy who, <laughs> who has the big puffy chest, right? It can be, it can be just having a whiny attitude about everything. It can be, really having an ego boils down to this. It boils down to selfishness. It's either arrogance and pride because you think you're just so awesome or it's self-pity and self-loathing and all of these things. It boils down to ego is selfishness and the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount comes in and it destroys that ego. Because when you conform to the Beatitudes in the Sermon of the Mount, there is no place for pride and there's no place for arrogance. There's no place for ego. You know, Malachi came up to me yesterday. So Eden's birthday is Monday. It's tomorrow. We had our party yesterday. And uh, it always works out that her party ends up being around the same weekend as the harvest party. So for the harvest party, we always rent uh, like an obstacle course, a big inflatable. And so it gets here on Friday. Her party's normally on Saturday. So we're like, hey, you know, let's, let's use this, you know, for, for her party. So she, yesterday we blew up. It was, it's, you'll see it tonight. Stretches all the way across here. She, they played on it all day with their friends. And it was awesome. Malachi comes up to me yesterday after the party as I'm studying. And he goes, dad, why don't I get an obstacle course for my birthday? And I said, well, you shouldn't have been born in July, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> Selfishness. It's self-pity. That is just as much ego as the guy who walks around with his chest puffed out. It's just as much ego as the narcissist. It's just as narcissistic as the guy who thinks he's the greatest thing that ever walked the planet, Right? Self-pity is just as much ego as pride and the Beatitudes, they come in and they obliterate our egos. There is no room for selfishness in the kingdom of God. Amen? The Beatitudes become our measuring stick. It becomes the standard that we are to live our lives. How we measure how we respond or how we measure our response to every situation, how we judge our own character, how we judge our own motives and intentions, everything we say, do, or think is sent through the fires of the Sermon on the Mount. 
Our motives are sent through the fires of the nine statements, the nine beatitudes that are listed. The blessed statements. The Sermon on the Mount is our measuring stick for what it looks like to have the character of Christ. The Sermon on the Mount, and more specifically, the Beatitudes, center around the word blessed. Or if you're a King James speaker, blessed, right? They center around this word blessed. The word blessed in the Greek is the word makareos, makareos. If you look it up in a, in a lexicon or a concordance, you'll see three words. You'll see happy, blessed, and fortunate. It's one of those words, though, as you dive in deeper into the word, the study, it's one of those words that you learn that the English doesn't have a really good enough word to explain or to encapsulate the meaning of this word, makeros. So when the translators come to this word, you'll see most translations, they uh, translate it blessed. And the reason why is because within our English words, the closest words that we can come to in our English words is either blessed or bliss. And so some translations say happy, but most translations use this word blessed. But the reason why it falls short in meaning is because our English word of blessed um, doesn't quite measure up. So the word makeros was a Greek word used by the Romans. Um, it, it was not an, an Israelite word. It was not a Jewish word. It was a Roman word that was used to describe the, the bliss or the ecstasy of the gods. That to have makeros, you actually had to be a god. And the reason why is because they believed that the gods lived above everyone else. That they lived above sorrow. That they lived above pain. That they lived above labor. And those sorts of things. That when they pictured the gods, they pictured them in this everlasting bliss. Lounging around on clouds, listening to some angel play the harp. You know, It was this supernatural bliss that they, was, that they would experience. And it would only it was this sort of happiness could only be attained by the gods. Later on, it became kind of a slang word that was used to describe the rich and the extremely wealthy and those who were in high standing in the community and authority. And so this is what this word is. It's it's blessed beyond measure. It's so blessed that you literally at the are at the level of the bliss of the gods. And this is what they used to describe that word blessed. This is what makiros means. And so Jesus uses that word blessed that describes those without sorrow, those without labor, those without all of those things. He uses that word and then he says these kinds of statements. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed, makeros, what bliss there is for those who mourn. Now keep in mind, the culture's definition is there's no sorrow, there's no pain. You're living like a king, you're in wealth. And Jesus comes in and he flips the tables. And he said, you think... To be blessed, you have to be wealthy and without pain, without sorrow. But I'm coming to you and I'm saying the real ones who are blessed are the ones who have a poverty in their spirit. 
the ones who are low, the ones who realize they have need for God. Those are the ones who are blessed. And those are the ones who inherit the kingdom of God. You say blessed are those without sorrow, but I say blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who experience pain and sorrow because they get to know what it's like to be comforted by the Father. Blessed are the merciful. You say, you say blessed are the ones who sit high on thrones and have authority. But I say blessed are the meek and the humble and the ones lowly in heart. And he says that they will sit on a throne you can never sit on because they're going to inherit the earth. And Jesus comes in and he flips the idea of what being blessed looks like. And he says this, he, he says, Jesus, I wrote this here, Jesus comes in and flips the table saying, you thought blessing was wealth, comfort, and high standing. But I'm telling you that all of those things outside of the kingdom will amount to nothing. All of the wealth you can obtain, all of the quote-unquote comfort you can obtain, all of the outside of the kingdom amounts to nothing. True blessing is to walk in the virtues of the kingdom and to know its king. True blessing is to walk in the virtues of the kingdom and to know its king. I love this idea that they believe that this blessing that Makairos was to be godlike. But Jesus uses the statement, basically, he's saying this you think blessing is to live like a God, but this is what it looks like to have God inside of you. This is what it looks like when the creator of the universe takes up residence inside of you. I'm going to close with this idea. I love this thought that Jesus is not giving us these beatitudes. He's not giving us this high standard, the Sermon on the Mount. He's not giving us those things so that we will serve him like slaves. He's giving us these standards because he's asking us to be like him. When you read the Sermon of the Mount, you read the Beatitudes, you quickly realize that Jesus is describing his own character. He's describing how he lives on the earth. He's describing his moral backbone, his ethics. So Jesus is not asking us to do something that he does not do himself. That Jesus is self-sacrificing. That Jesus does lay down his life for his others. He lives for another. He was the lamb. He took our stripes. That everything he describes through the Beatitudes and through the Sermon of the Mount is his character and his nature. And he is not asking us to become like this to serve him. He's asking us to become like this so we become like him. He's asking us to be Christ-like. He's giving us the standard of what it looks like to be Christian. Thank you, Jesus. And if he gives us that standard, he gives us the grace to walk in that standard.
It's not unattainable. He gives us the grace to begin walking in that standard. And so in the weeks to come, we're going to dive deeper into the Beatitudes. We're going to dive deeper into the Sermon of the Mount. And my prayer is this, that through this process, we would become more and more Christ-like. That through this process, our egos, and we all have them, but our egos would be put to rest. And that we would walk humbly like Jesus walked. That we would begin to live for another as he commands us to do like he did. That through this process, you know, the Bible says that we are image bearers. We bear the image of God into the earth. My prayer is that through this process, through these teachings, through this time we have with the Holy Spirit together, that we would become more and more like him so that we can bear his image to the world. So that we can represent his kingdom to the world. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Jesus, we thank you for this time together. God, we thank you for the gift of Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. We thank you for the gift of the Sermon on the Mount, Father. God, we pray that as we go through this this process, as we go through this series, God, I pray that you would transform us into your image, Father. God, that we would become image bearers that, that you have destined us to be, Father. That we would begin walking, not just, not just bearing the title of Christian, but bearing the attributes of Christian. God, we thank you for your grace to obtain that. We thank you for your grace to walk in that. And we bless you today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.